Planning court proceedings, ripe for reform. You're listening to the Planning, Environment and Property podcast, brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. I'm Richard Harwood. I'm Barrister and QC at 39 Essex Chambers. The planning system is facing two simultaneous reviews, albeit from different perspectives. The Planning White Paper has looked at its general processes, whilst the Independent Review of Administrative Law under Lord Fox is addressing judicial review and similar measures in the administrative and planning courts. My colleagues in chambers, Vikram Sashdeva QC and Selina Calhoun, are members of that latter review. An issue lurking in both reviews is the means of challenging planning and related decisions. Remarkably, and for no particularly good reason, they are subject to a variety of different procedures. This simply gives rise to confusion, expense, and occasionally catastrophic errors. It's necessary for practitioners to have the different processes well in mind, and given their undue complexity, it is time for reform. The Planning Court hears challenges to planning and related decisions taken by public authorities. There are four types of proceedings which can be brought against those decisions in the Planning Court. The first is a statutory planning review in the High Court. This is an application made to the High Court under specified statutes. The most common is under Section 288 of the Town and Country Planning Act 1990 against decisions of ministers or planning inspectors on planning appeals or call-ins of planning applications. Less frequently, it includes decisions on revocation or discontinuance orders and completion notices, and also the making of tree preservation orders. Challenges to the adoption of local plans are brought under the same procedure under the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004, Section 113. Planning statutory reviews are also used at applications to the High Court against decisions of ministers or inspectors on lists of building consent appeals or call-ins and hazardous substances consent matters. Permission to apply to the court has to be sought and obtained for these claims, providing an initial screening of the merits of the proceedings. These procedures are governed by the Civil Procedure Rules Part 8 and Practice Direction 8C and are closely modelled on judicial review. There are no differences in standing, time limits and remedies to those in judicial review. Secondly, an application to the High Court under the Civil Procedure Rules Part 8. There are various other rights to apply to the High Court which are not planning statutory appeals. These do not require the permission of the Court to proceed and are governed by CPR Part 8 and Practice Direction 8A. These claims include the confirmation of compulsory purchase orders, certain road traffic regulation orders, alterations to the definitive map of rights of way, certain environmental impact assessment claims, such as those under the offshore petroleum regulations, and the designation of areas of archaeological importance. Thirdly, by an appeal to the High Court. Some planning decisions are challenged by appeal to the High Court in particular, under the Town and Country Planning Act 1990, Section 289. Section 289 appeals cover most decisions of ministers or inspectors on enforcement notice, tree replacement notice, and in Wales, Section 215, amenity notice appeals. Similar appeal procedures apply to list of building enforcement notice appeal decisions 
and hazardous substances consent. The last of the four mechanisms used against decisions is judicial review. This covers all cases. The most common are challenges to the grant of planning permission by local planning authorities, since objectors have no ability to appeal to the minister against an approval. Other judicial reviews will include approvals by local authorities of details of the planning permissions, or the designation of listed buildings and conservation areas by central or local government. Certain decisions are subject to judicial review with special statutory time limits. National policy statements, such as being considered in the ongoing Heathrow litigation, development consent orders authorising nationally significant infrastructure projects, and neighbourhood plans. Decisions on whether to take enforcement action, the validity of various enforcement-related notices, decisions to make compulsory purchase orders, some highways and road traffic regulation orders, and various planning policies are also subject to judicial review. Judicial review applies again to some aspects of planning or enforcement appeals. So sometimes different procedures apply to different stages or outcomes in a single process. For example, whilst a minister's decision on a planning appeal would be challenged by a Section 288 application, his refusal to entertain the appeal at all would be subject to judicial review. A ministerial decision to confirm a compulsory purchase order can be challenged by an application to the court under the Acquisition of Land Act. However, if the minister turns down the order, then the inquiring authority's only remedy is to bring judicial review proceedings. These four mechanisms all operate under different statutes, procedural rules and practice directions. Lawyers call whether a person is entitled to bring proceedings as standing. There are three different tests for standing in these cases. To bring an application to the High Court, the claimant must be a person aggrieved. Appeals may be brought only by identified persons, usually the original appellant or the local planning authority. A person with sufficient interest may bring judicial review. Whilst the courts have flip-flopped on the issue, sufficient interest is viewed these days as being wider and more generous than the person aggrieved test. Time limits for bringing proceedings vary between an extendable period of four weeks for bringing appeals, a non-extendable six-week period for applications to the court, and three different time limits for planning related judicial reviews. Most judicial reviews under the 1990 Town and Country Planning Act or Listed Building Act have six week time limits under the civil procedure rules and these are capable of being extended. However, neighbourhood plans are subject to a series of non-extendable six week time limits at different points in the decision making process. This is a mechanism so messy that the Supreme Court will be considering it next year in Oyston Estates. National policy statements and decisions on nationally significant infrastructure projects are subject to a six-week non-extendable judicial review challenge period. Finally, proceedings against supplementary planning documents, that is, second-tier local policies, are subject to the conventional requirement that judicial review be brought promptly and within three months, subject to any extension. This appears to be solely because the revisers of the civil procedure rules who brought in a six-week period, were unaware that these documents were adopted under the Planning and Compulsory Purchase Act 2004. Planning statutory reviews and judicial review 
have similar processes, albeit with different forms, fees and rules. Common elements include the need for the defendant to explain their case and for proceedings to have permission from the court to go to a full hearing. Appeals also require the permission of the court, which can only be dealt with in an oral hearing, no matter how strong the case is. I had one enforcement notice appeal permission hearing, which lasted less than 10 seconds. But neither appeals nor the other Part 8 applications require the defendants to set out their case before submitting skeleton arguments for a hearing. There are a number of instances where multiple proceedings have to be brought over decisions in the same document. For example, if planning permission is granted in an enforcement notice appeal, then the local planning authority would have to bring a Section 288 application against the planning permission and a Section 289 appeal against the enforcement notice appeal being allowed. The same decision letter may deal with different decisions, but then be subject to separate proceedings. Again, for example, the Lissa building case of Dill went all the way to the Supreme Court as both an application to the court and an appeal. There are a steady stream of errors involving the wrong forms or timescales, a recent example being Bella Mile and Ashford Borough Council, where a possibly correct form but wrong fee was rejected by the court office, and then the correct form for the wrong proceedings was accepted a day late. The claimants were in a muddle about what proceedings to file, and the claim was struck out as being a day out of time. Now, there's no readily discernible reason why these different procedures are used. Northern Ireland has managed perfectly well with only judicial review. Reforms to date have been limited in scope. For example, some six-week time periods started to run on the decision, whilst others began the day after the decision. This led to a series of high-profile claims failing before the Criminal Justice and Courts Act 2015 set all periods to start on the day following the decision. The requirement to secure the permission of the court to bring a statutory review was introduced for those applications under the Planning Acts by that Act. The bill, as originally published, contained a permission requirement for Section 288 applications, but for no other planning cases, such as a list of building consent appeal in the same decision letter. Bob Neill MP tailored amendments to widen the permission requirement to the other planning statutory re reviews. These were taken up by the Ministry of Justice. However, the amendments did not tidy up the other applications to the court, as they would have involved securing the agreement of departments other than communities and local government and the Ministry of Justice. A full list would have brought in DEFRA, Culture, Media and Sport, and Transport, and there was insufficient time to do this. Compulsory purchase powers were not touched because these raise a policy question of access to the courts by those facing compulsory purchase. The opportunity ought now to be taken to rationalise the modes of challenge. The most effective reform will be to abolish statutory reviews and appeals to the High Court under Section 289 and their equivalents and have all proceedings brought by judicial review. There are some decisions that are so well publicised that it remains legitimate to provide the time limit cannot be extended and they may not be challenged in other proceedings. This is of course done for the planning appeals and for some policy decisions. There's no case though for a major change between those protected decisions and others which may be subject to a usually rare 
extension of time for proceedings, and which may also be challenged by an individual in resisting other proceedings which are brought against them. Bringing all proceedings under judicial review will also broaden the range and flexibility of remedies available to the court. Some of the statutory reviews are limited to the quashing of unlawful decisions and lack the ability of judicial review to fashion a suitable proportionate remedy. More modest reforms will be to change the statutory appeals to the High Court into applications to the Court. In 1989, Robert Calm of QC, in his report Enforcing Planning Control, proposed to remove Section 289, the Town and Country Planning Act 1990, as it subsequently became, and place all challenges to enforce those appeal decisions under what was to be Section 288 Planning Statutory Reviews. In the next 30 years, uh, Robert rose to become a Justice of the Supreme Court, but this is one of the few proposals which he made that has not been taken up. Another modest change would be to complete the 2015 reforms by requiring all applications to the court under the planning and environmental statutory provisions to have permission before proceeding. Major change is though often as easy to do as small amendments. Removing the other mechanisms leaves judicial review as the default position. The only issues are whether the time for bringing claims should be non-extendable and whether a challenge to particular decisions in other proceedings should be excluded. These are well-travelled topics and should not hold up changes, which would favour clarity over complexity, efficiency over expense, and the resolving of rights rather than the hurdles of procedural error. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.